The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of New York Presbyterian Hospital or Columbia University Irving Medical Center. You're listening to Taking It to Heart with the Columbia Valve Team, a podcast where we discuss the advancements in treatments for patients with structural heart and valve disease. I'm your host, Dr. Isaac George. Welcome everybody to Taking It to Heart. I'm Isaac George, your host. We're here with the Structural Heart and Valve Center at Columbia University Medical Center. We're gonna be talking about something that's been uh, a a big topic in Twitter and the news and in the medical community. Uh, And that's the the two trials that have been retracted from major journals due to uh, data inconsistencies. It's affected a lot of people and it's affected our trust in the medical system, unfortunately, and potentially how we do journal review. We have a guest editorial advisor today. Uh, This is Dr. Ajay Kirtani. Um, Ajay is is an expert in big data uh, and he's going to help us guide us through some of these issues today. So before we get started, Ajay, I just want to ask you, how do you pronounce your last name? Is it Kirtani? Is it Kirtani? Is it uh, Kirtane? I've heard eight different ways. <laughs> I, just, I think we need to clear it up once and for all. What is, how do you pronounce your last name? Well, thanks, Isaac, for asking. It's, it's Ajay Kirtane. And um, yes, I've heard it many other ways. I think it's actually adaptive because it sounds sometimes like there's more than one of me. So I can potentially be more than one person at the same time. But uh, no, thanks for having me on. I don't, I don't profess to be an expert in big data, uh, but I, I think that there's some lessons here for all of us. And uh, it's going to be fun to be able to talk about. Okay. So our other, other uh, heart valve members here today, Dr. Sashil Kadali and Dr. Rebecca Hahn. Uh, we have, unfortunately, a couple of people in the lab running a case, and so we're going to go ahead and get started. So to get to the details, we have two papers that were published just recently on COVID, COVID drug pharmacotherapy, one on ACE and ARBs that was published in the New England Journal. The other was a, uh, a Lancet paper regarding hydrochloroquine. Both were written by a consortium consisting of uh, a, a Brigham author, a you know Dr. Mandeep Mara, uh, Amit Patel, uh, a surgeon from Utah, and and uh, and one or two others. Uh, so a small, short author list, um, and a data mining company, uh, a private company called Surgisphere, run by Dr. Saitman Desai. The papers that were um, that were that were written based on this data were later retracted because uh, the data could not be verified, meaning the Papers were published, inconsistencies were brought up to the journal, the journal did a review, an independent review could not actually access the data because the the company would not provide the data or could not provide the data. And therefore, three of the authors decided uh, on each of the papers decided that the papers needed to be retracted. So first of all, Maybe I'll start with uh, Becky. How does this look for us? I mean, this is one of the biggest topics. Hydrochloroquine was was Donald Trump pushing. We had Mehmet Oz on one end. We had we had a lot of big people, and there was a lot of uncertainty. So this was the paper that we needed. We needed medicine to say, all right, this is 
this is what we need to take. This is what we don't need to take. What do you think about this? This is exactly what we don't need right now. Yeah, I mean, I think this was a, a classic case of an opportunist uh, really, um, you know, taking taking the, this opportunity, obviously, to uh, to really fool uh, the scientific com- community, and, and and I think the the question really is, is how to avoid this in in the future. Um, what you know, what safeguards do we have? And maybe even you know what's been happening on Twitter now is just this call for looking at all the past research done by these particular invest investigators, and um, you know, but 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 it's also a wake up you know message for all of us that are dealing with big data. Uh, to be extra careful about where we think the data is coming from. It's just like, you know, internet safety, right? Do you know where this file is coming from before opening it? I mean, it's the same kind of thing. And I think that uh, these investigators who are are highly respected, obviously, except for the Surgisphere um, CEO, uh, I think failed to do their due diligence in using a database that they were not familiar with, that they did not create. That, that they had no idea how it was collected and and really had a leap of faith um, and, and, and opened uh, a virus. So, uh, Ajay, you know, um, tell us about, can, do you, what, tell us what you know about Surgisphere. Do you know anything to shed light on these? Or how about this? How about data mining companies that are private companies that, that collect data? It's, it, I'm sure this took a lot of people by surprise. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think that, you know, much of this is going to come out later, we hope. Um, the, the challenge really is that, um, you know, on face value to be able to get this type of data um, from so many countries, so many hospitals is an extraordinarily challenging thing to do. And many have actually argued that it shouldn't be so challenging. For instance, in Sweden, they can, you know, organize their data across all their hospitals and do some pretty amazing, not only retrospective analyses, but prospective randomized trials with those data. And so in many ways, some have called this the holy grail, the ability to amalgamate all of these data together to quickly um, not answer, but to, to ask questions and then with limitations, be able to partially answer them. Um, the challenge, though, is that there's so many different regulations, not only amongst countries, but individual hospitals, HIPAA, even just sort of, um, you know, getting the data fields to match. The way we code ethnicity, for instance, in the United States is different than the way that other places do it. And so That's in some respects, point. this seemed to be the holy grail, but it was probably too much too soon. And I think it t- taking a step back at this people would have looked at it and said, okay, this doesn't make any sense. And just to one point um, about uh, the issue of fraud, you know, the peer review and all these things are are designed to detect, you know, issues with methods and that sort of thing. And we don't know if this is fraud yet for sure, but it's not really designed to detect that. And maybe it should be, but that's one of the challenges, particularly when we need to answer questions really quickly, like in the pandemic. So, Um, so you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, it says clearly when you submit your manuscript that you've had access to the primary data, right? And all of us are dealing with uh, larger databases through the trials. And I'm going to be really honest with you, uh, right from the first publication uh, that I was, I was so lucky to be on for, uh, for partner um, 1A, I actually had access to all the primary data. I mean, I had a line by line. I could look at an individual patient's data. Um, but and that's I think not that necessarily that, true for everybody, Becky. Right? You were the core lab, so no, that's a no, different this was, set I wasn't of the core. I, I was not the core lab for partner one. 
I was just writing the I was just writing the manuscript. Yeah, yeah I think that's that, a that, that was sort of a different uh, scenario. But, I, but you I, were part of the writing group, you know, presumably. But these guys are part of the writing group. So the question is, is how do we prevent? These are very respected uh, researchers. What what happened? Well, so, right, so, yeah. I, think, so, I think I would say one one ahead, comment on this, though. I mean, I I think that this is a, obviously a concern, and hopefully, you know, we'll, hopefully we we'll get some more answers as to what really was done and what you know whether it's truly a fraud, as I J said. At the same time, we, we we don't want to sort of say you know this type of research can't be done because there there's there's value in big data. And to Ajay's point, the question is, how do we collect this safely and responsibly? You know, there, there are a lot of things that are at play. Um, there, there are, you know, the, the journal has a responsibility. I mean, the statistical editor to question potentially, right? But in the era, in the, in, in a pandemic, we're trying to answer this question, some of those things are, are expedited and go quickly and, and, and may not be as depth as if it wasn't an expedited publication in this current era. So I think there are those factors that play in as well. And, you know, listen, in the end, we're all sort of, you know, chase those publications, right? New England Journal, Lancet, there's ego involved, there's all these things, and there's a lot of journals. And one of the questions is, is all these journals and, and the value we put on publications sort of incentivizes some of this. Um, you know, for a private company to collect data, this becomes a, a marketing tool if they have a pub publications New England Journal. And so all these things are incent incentive incentivized. Um, but, but I think we just have to look at it. I mean, yes, in all these clinical trials that you talked about, you know, not everyone has access to all the data. The analyses are done by the companies, uh, but that data set is audited, presumably, by the, the FDA, because uh, it's a approval data set for many of these trials. And Ajay, maybe you can comment on the STEN side, right? You guys have access to a lot of these data sets on the STEN side, but these data sets were initially for, for uh, approval trials uh, were theoretically audited by the FDA, correct? Yeah, you know, I think that that's, that's an important point. Becky's experience that she relayed, I would honestly say, I, first of all, I commend you for having the line-by-line -line, um, data, but I would posit to say that in many studies, um, most investigators do not have line-by-line -line data. And certainly with big data sets, if you you know thinking about 96,000 patients, uh, one can argue that you're sort of just, you know, you, you will get data outputs of tables but you're not necessarily going to see the line by line data. And that's why it's so important to understand where it's coming from um, when asked to um, do these types of collaborations, because actually just yesterday I saw that, you know, what it, it, it at least what's what, what was in, in, a, in an article on stat news was that one of the investigators happened to know the senior investigator and happened to sort of make the connection between surgisphere and so maybe the senior investigator put too much trust in it who knows it could be more nefarious than that we just really don't know but the bottom line is that if somebody comes to you with a project and I'd say at a big academic institution, you're maybe even set up for that type of thing. People will email us all the time saying, hey, can you collaborate on this, that, or the other? And oftentimes the assumption is made that the data is legitimate, but that's probably not something we should do, right? Isaac, I mean, you've actually commented publicly on this. I mean, I think that the issue is it's really difficult to figure out whose job it is to verify the data. Is it the first author? Is it the last author? Is it the, is it the journal? I mean, and how do you actually do that? I mean, Personally, for me, I ask to see the data when I'm first or last author, but I would agree with all of you guys when I'm in the middle, you know, I, I go on the reputation of the person who is with the associate, who the association is with. If it's someone I absolutely don't know, if it's some, something that I'm concerned about or questioning, 
then I'll say I have issues about the data. I want to see this, or I want to, you know, understand what happened. But if it's someone I trust and I and the data makes sense to me, then you know I agree. I'm in the middle, and I kind of move on. So is it unethical to pay a company like this to do this kind of data analysis? I think there are a lot of contracts um, for, it depends on what the company is. There, if there's a data analytics center, if you, for instance, look at things like the NCDR, the data analytics centers um, get paid um, through a contract from the NCDR. Um, the, nobody who's doing the analyses for something like the NCDR, and that's for those that don't, are not familiar with it, this is a registry across the United States of um, cardiovascular procedures um, in a variety of ways. But most investigators, you get data tables. You don't see raw data output in lines. Now, if you had asked for them, I'm sure you could. Um, I don't know exactly, but, but I think that many people just assume that because it's the NCDR, this is vetted through various societies and reputable academic places, that uh, the data is intact. And um, I actually think it'd be pretty onerous for an individual investigator to go back and query and audit and try to do all the range checks and things that, for instance, the DCRI, Duke Clinical Research Institute, does to be able to verify it. So that's, that's sort of the conundrum here a little bit. I mean, I think the one point I would make and agree with you and, and sort of emphasize is, uh, is the, these data analytic companies are, are necessary, but you know, you're not going to get access to the data a lot of these times because they're, they're this, and this was on the Twitter and, and all this stuff about Surgisphere. It's proprietary. The term proprietary is used, you know, relationships, they're proprietary, the algorithm is proprietary or confidentiality and, and all these things are used. So there are ways, yes, the line by line data is going to be hard to access one and two, who's going to run through that and actually verify the quality of the data at some point there are, there are, things put in place that you have to trust. And, and I guess the question is, you know, what is that level and, and where does it become, where do you start to question it? But I mean, Surgisphere started with the premise that these were all de-identified data, right? And that's where it caught them up as well, where they claimed that there was somebody at each of the hospitals that was de-identifying the data in order for them to have it. So they technically don't have any identified data and the reason why I ended up with the line-by-line line, uh, uh, data was that there was an inconsistency in the data, and I needed to find out why. And, and that is where, you know, the, the, the first author, the primary investigator, um, you know, fell down, obviously, on the job, because the inconsistencies, like mortality rates, were just not consistent with what was happening in the world and what was being reported. And why wasn't that a big red flag? Absolutely. And Becky, the other aspect of this, too, is that sometimes folks, I, I will say that, you know, just like randomized trials require expertise to run, um, observational analyses, especially because of the pitfalls, you often, I would say, require perhaps even more expertise because you're not, you know, protected by randomization, for instance. Right, and so right. sometimes what can happen is, um, and, and I don't know enough about the individual investigators to comment, you know, specifically in this scenario. So hypothetically, what can happen is if you're a certain type of investigator and someone comes to you with a project that has a big data analytics associated with it and says, hey, we can run all this, that, and the other, you might be enticed to sort of get involved because you want to help out in a pandemic. And so, but if you don't have the expertise or the ability to step back and say, hey, this just doesn't pass the sniff test. How can you have perhaps more deaths in a continent than actually existed at that continent at that time? 
then you can fall suspect or prey to some of these things that occur. I think we agree that there's clearly multiple levels of failure here. The question is the going forward and in, in, in how do we, and I think the question that Becky asked beginning, how do we prevent it or how do we minimize the risk and whose responsibility is it? So, so let's say you have certain trials that are randomized. Let's say they go through the FDA. Let's say they go through international uh, protocol for, uh, for rapid review. Should those data sources be open source? Or should some level of data be available for investigators? And again, it doesn't necessarily correct the issue that Ajay had, had brought up before, that if you fabricate a whole data set, it's not going to you know, figure that out to, to figure out if it's fraud. But, but let's say you open this up as open source. I mean, open source data as a, as a concept has gained a lot of favor in the last year, given issues with structural heart valve trials, let's say, or primarily Excel. Excel was a, a huge deal and is still going on, right? It's an ongoing issue where people, as you said, Sashil, you have an FDA audited piece of, uh, piece of data or a data set, but then that gets transferred into manuscript form and things that maybe are interpreted or reflected in the, in the FDA data set are then subject to different investigators for, for a publication. Right. And so how do you how do you manage that? It, could you make it open source and would that solve the problem or does it not? Well, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a tough one. That's a big one. <laughs> but, I mean, but I mean, investigators are, or, are constantly uh, submitting proposals for the STS database. Um, and it, it's not open source because I mean, you do have to go through the proposal process, but that data is available to to other investigators, and I and I and I like that. Although I have not been able to get crack into the to the actual getting the data for a proposal, but but in any case, I guess it's a rigorous process, and I haven't submitted anything worthwhile yet. But um, but there is a process, and and so there are some databases that are public and and available to to investigators, which I like very much. You know, the challenge, though, is even databases like the STS, um, they, they're not truly open source. You can query them and you can Correct. get a, approval for a query, but you may not be able to get the full data. Now, there has a new, there's a new yeah. process with it, this, this puff process that actually allows for STS to, for people to actually get data and do it. Mm -hmm. But um, I, would, I would think that even databases like that, folks are going to be a little bit reluctant to release the entire data to the public, and, and there's a lot of conversation back and forth, pros and cons. Obviously, for transparency, there's a huge pro. Um, there's also limitations. People don't necessarily know that certain fields are only 60% accurate and others are not, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so uh, there's a huge, huge debate ongoing about this, but independent validation, I think, is probably a happy medium, and um, that at least would give a little bit more believability to some of these data. But as you said, Isaac, if the entire database is not exactly kosher to start off with, then you have to have some other way of figuring out what's going on to get to the bottom. All right, I think we're going to wrap up. I just want to point out that Ajay is on Zoom, and we can actually see a life-size life Darth Vader doll in his <laughs> office. <laughs> Why he has a Darth Isaac, don't call it a doll. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's most certainly not a doll. Uh, it's not life-size either. 
and uh, there's actually a good story behind it, but we will we'll, uh, break over the hour. But bottom line is, it was it was a very nice Christmas gift that I received. But That's I certainly couldn't awesome. keep it at home. I'm not. <laughs> well, I guess my my project. I was gonna um, put you guys all on a paper, but uh, I guess I'm gonna table that for now. I definitely uh, don't trust you, Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, it's been man. a pleasure, everybody. This is a great, great topic. Great discussion. We'll, uh, we'll uh, resume this soon. And thank you all for listening.